and welcome to episode 76 of the Night Gallery Podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're talking about Sins of the Fathers. It's the first story from episode 21 of season 2. Originally aired February 23rd, 1972. Uh, It was a teleplay by Halstead Wells, based on the short story by Christiana Brand and directed by Geno Swark. And it's... uh, Again, a story that doesn't feature any supernatural elements and instead focuses on the horror the men do. And in many people's eyes, it's probably the best non-sailing written story from the entire series. Good evening. I'm your tour guide through this unusual salon of unusual statuary and paintings. These are the sort of things that may not please you, but very likely may chill you. Because this is the Night Gallery. Now this one here, unabashed and unashamed, I submit to you is a dandy. It delves into an ancient funeral rite having to do with a personage called a sin eater. One who attends a wake and partakes of the funeral food. And in the process, digests all the transgressions of the deceased so that he departs the earth a much cleaner and sweeter little item, proving that we've become a bit more sophisticated in our tribal rights, but we are much the poorer for our 20th century chromium intellect. You might agree with me after you've seen Sins of the Fathers. We're in 19th century Wales, and it's a a place that has been massively damaged by famine. A woman, uh, played by Barbara Steele, is now a widower. And she gets her servant, um, to, uh, played by Michael Dunn, uh, to find somebody called a sin eater. Now this is a man who will eat food off the corpse of the deceased and in that process consume all the sins that that person has not been repented for. In this case, it's the sins of her husband. The servant goes out looking for three days and finds nothing. And in his desperation, he goes to a place called Dylan Evans' house. Now, Dylan is far too ill to go. But our servant is is determined to kind of end this this process of trying to find a sin eater and persuades... um, tries to desperately persuade... um, his wife, she's played by Geraldine Page, that she should that he should go. That, that you know, in this t- terrible time of famine, there is an incredible a lot of food surrounding this affluent person. In that moment, Geraldine ha- hatches a plan to send her rather dim-witted son, a lad called Ian, played by Richard Thomas. Terrible to be hungry. You won't be hungry. Not after tonight. But wherever the food come from, Mother, will it drop like manna from heaven? I've heard the man. You will go with him. We'll eat. Me? No, I couldn't. I couldn't eat a dead man's sins. 
You're hungry. Food is food. But to eat from the chest of a dead man, mother, the food would choke me. Jan, there is the money. Three pieces of gold. Oh, but I'd rather starve. And your mother. And your mother. Want them to starve? No. But mother, to, to eat from the chest of a corpse. Well, to take a man's sins and be done for all eternity. No, I yeah, won't. Yeah. I can't do that. I won't. What if you don't eat? To take the dead man's sins, you must eat the food on the corpse. But what if you don't eat? What if you bring the food away? Not eat? No. No, not there. So a plan is in place, but, um... The lad is really not happy with it. He doesn't like the concept of being that close to a corpse, for one. But also he's terrified about the stigma and the, the damage that being a sin eater will do. He believes that he will consume the sins of this person. And it, uh, it, it, it terrifies him. And, but he's persuaded by the plan from, from his mother, which is that he doesn't eat, have to eat any of the food that surrounds the uh, the corpse and instead just consumes it well steals it effectively ushering everybody out of the room stealing it and then making a dash for it and that's enough for him to agree he heads in all the mourners are there and the widow and they're initially really displeased and angry that what appears to have happened is that the servant has brought a boy rather than a man, a man in to do what is, after all, a very serious job. He is freaking out, but manages to persuade everybody to leave the room, and then starts filling his pockets and screaming, and making the, and saying the prayer of the sin eater, and he is traumatized by what he's having to do. Finally, this all becomes too much. He he jumps up, screams, and leaves, running into the night. The widower, the widow, I should say, um, picks up some gold coins and throws them after him for payments for what he's done. But he's, he's long gone since then, filled with terror and panic. He runs through the night and finally arrives home and shows the food to his mother that he's got. His mum says that all that food is for him, for what he's done. But she then takes it, grabs it and heads towards the... Um, towards the father's room he asks what's going on and as she prepares it the reality becomes clear she has a job for him to eat the food around his now deceased father a man who's consumed sins all his life and to turn finally 
into a sin eater. To do that would be to condemn him himself. So she reminds him that not to worry for one day, he too will have a son and the terrible curse can continue to be passed on. a simple farmer with simple sins. He's your father. Think of your father. No. No, to eat the sins of the sin eater. Yes. You have to. Think of all the sins of the sin eater. Sin upon sin. Year after year. And Hundreds of sins. Hundreds of men. Yeah. Yeah, someone has to take on the sins of the sin eater. He's your father. Then we've got, you know, horrendous, horrific screams of horror. The lads had a terrible day. It's, it's obvious that this grim tale is, is, is very powerful, mainly due to the work of... Um, of Richard Thomas playing Ian, who who has to do do some pretty go through, go to pull through the ringer. I mean, you know, as a character, um, it's grim. I mean, there are lingering macabre images of corpses. I mean, the one in our, our dead man who, who kind of kicks it all off. He's um, you know he's he's meant to have been decomposing for a few days, and you can see him. You can see Ian really struggling around the food and his his desire to eat it. But also his horror of what's next to it, this decomposing body. Um, you know, it's an intense tale, and it's something that NBC were really worried about. They initially said, um, well, they were initially basically gave it a, cus- a cursory nod, but said that they wanted to look at it first before. It went to where they were worried about it because of because of the the concepts and you know eating food off dead bodies and stuff like that. Although they get around it, they don't actually put any of the food on the chest of the man. It's it's around it just to make it a little less grim. But there's still moments when Ian's reaching over the corpse and stuff like that. It was a risk from Laird, definitely a massive one in truth. Um, and then. Rather than kind of try and keep it toned down and simple, they kind of go for it. Uh, Joe Alves rigs this massive set uh, and makes it grey and grim. Lots of it was placed on platforms, and dry ice was pumped up to give it this heavy, grim, grey fog over the top. So, despite the fact that NBC could easily have turned it down. They kind of came out all guns blazing, and if they just literally turned it back, I think Universal would have gone absolutely mental for the amount of money they'd spent making this story. Um, there's lots of. I think it's interesting that uh, they chose uh, for the widow uh, Barbara Steele, mainly because the tone of it, the style, lots of lingering shots. I mean, they, they, they've been very. Um, Swark was very good at working in the timescales that he had and uh, trying to make the most of what he had. And because it's quite a wordy play, 
um, he was able to, you know, he there was lots of long takes, and I think, and like lingering quite wide shots, and I think, um, and then obviously getting right in there when it needs to, and that's similar to Mario Barber's Black Sunday, which is obviously a direct link, and, and I think possibly a deliberate reason to get Barbara Steele involved was for that. So there's there's that link there. It's it creates a great deal of atmosphere. Geraldine Page is brilliant in it as well. Um, and apparently, initially, she struggled to grasp what her mum's, uh, what the mother's actions were, and why she was doing what she was doing. Um, in the end, though, um, I think she's obviously Swark had to take one side and grasp, you know, this concept of what starvation can do to people and the kind of desolation that that famine can bring, particularly to a family, and the desperate things that people do. Um, and I think in this case that's very true. Um, what she does is um, is monstrous and horrible, but uh, you can see her kind of take over and, tr- and work out why she's doing it and the best reasons why she's doing it. In particular, when she's talking to when you know that that scene when she's talking about you know roast lamb and all that kind of stuff with the servants, and um, you can see her salivating. And you know, and, and and like, just as it as she finally makes her mind up, she, she just one tear comes out, and it's really masterful, incredibly skilled performance on her part. Um, the story, uh, well, the actual, as you could probably imagine, from a big set, lots of money and and and, and pressure, there was problems. One of the maddest thing was that Michael Dunn kind of got, he's, he's a little fella, you know what I mean. And he's on his pony, and they pump the dry ice up, and it kind of like goes over the pony's head, and the pony rears, and he falls off the horse, and luckily he wasn't injured, although he did, you know, he did hurt himself. But you know, stuff like that is like, my God, how can you, you know? I mean, I know it's a long time ago, but it's just ridiculously dangerous activities on this massive expensive set that had to be filmed in a few days you know um also there were tensions because of this they need to shoot fast and Gerald Perry Finneman and Gerald Swart were um were a loggerheads a bit apparently um apparently Richard Thomas who went on to be you know quite a big name in the Waltons kind of st- stepped in to try and kind of focus their minds. I think the reason for that is probably Janice Walks is, is very much, has a plan that he has, he's very set to and tries to make the most out of every shot and everything that happens. And Finneman was, says himself that the stress of shooting to that schedule on that set with that much pressure was, was coming over the top. And um, I think it just basically led to them sniping at each other. It is a, a what the reaction though is creepy, dark, and at its most horrific, very extreme, quite grim. Um, you hear, I mean, apparently when they showed, finally showed it to the film's bit to NBC, all they asked was that some of the screaming be toned down so it's not quite so in your face. And obviously, I mean, they were happy to do that. That's just a mix in the sound. But I mean, I can understand why, because it's that intensity. That comes from that sound and that sound engineer and the performance that was given by uh, Richard Thomas. That kind of in-your-face 
just distraught and he's you know he's a simple kind of guy he's quite a simple lad but you know his faith and his belief are really entrenched and then to you know to stay alive he does something that he finds far you know it breaks him basically it definitely breaks him he's, he's traumatized at the end of it it's a high level of hysteria for, for any piece but it works in the tone and it's obviously a bizarre concept but i mean luckily because of the sailing introduction you can kind of get a good feel exactly for what's happening and why it's happening and it's kind of like you know you don't they don't spend too much time explaining what a sin eater is for, for an audience that might not know and even if you know you have no faith and you don't even i think this is why it works so well because even if you know you, you, you know, obviously you don't believe that eating this food would carry somebody's sin but you can imagine the horror if you did believe that and you can also imagine the grimness of all this happening at the same time it is um, without, without rambling I mean you know the only biggest the biggest problem with it is again like a lot of this stuff although it does kind of work um, a lot better than it normally does Um I think mainly mainly because um, it's it's kind of more well it, 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 you you go over the journey with the characters more than anything. Um, it is uh, far more. I mean, you compare this to what we did, you know, with there aren't any more McBain's, which is far more cinematic. This is TV as a as 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 a theatrical experience, really, and I think you know that's very powerful and, and it works quite well. It's quite oppressive, but also very, very, very well made. Richard Thomas says of his experiences on set, I've always loved that show, notes Thomas. The Sins of the Fathers has become a bit of a cult classic over the years. It's amazing how many people will say to me, I remember a show you did that scared me to death. And we had no special effects of any kind. We had to be weird in order to produce that psychological terror. The idea that a mother could do this to a son is what really is so horrible about it. It is, I mean, you know, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. That it is um, a film about horror in in a very literal sense in terms of the horror that people do. Interestingly enough, this is matched with something, it's a theme that continues through to the next episode that we're going to talk about. You can't get help like that anymore. But uh, in, a, in a different way, obviously, we've got, we go from... 19th century to sci-fi and um, that's next week but with this story I think it's almost it's oppressive atmosphere that uh, that just chills you to the bone <laughs> next week um, we're going to be talking about you can't get help like that anymore but if you want to get hold of me you can do at chris thetwilightzonenetwork.com where you can also go to my personal twitter at orange underscore monkey go to our website www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com there's all the articles that we put up links to our facebook and to our twitter and it basically tells you where, what, what's happening and where we are so until next week take care and I'll speak to you soon Goodbye.